0: Fast talk. Street talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people.
1: Solid talk. Hot talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham.
0: See it. Hear it. Think it. Talk radio and talk TV.
1: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV, the one place where you hear the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But let's get one thing straight this morning. The voting public have had enough. Of the metropolitan elite, they've had enough of the Westminster bubble. They've had enough of the BBC, of ITV, of Sky News trying to derail Boris Johnson uh, and his duly elected government. They see through the campaigns to force the prime minister to resign. They don't care about the latest pictures that his detractors claim show he broke the rules, and they are certainly not buying the idea that the picture in question, provided by Paul Brand yesterday of ITV, actually proves anything. Let us instead concentrate on what is important to people out there today, and I speak for you. Because I know how you feel Because you tell me every single day The cost of living crisis worries you The surging price of energy is a concern The illegal migrants that continue to arrive On our shores every single day Day in, day out By the thousands is a problem We want lower taxes, we want fewer restrictions on our lives It's really that simple And I don't understand why anybody would want to talk About something that happened nearly two years ago To somebody who was in a place of work Having a drink You know as well as I do that back in November, I thought Boris Johnson should go. I thought he had run his course. I thought the whole thing had come to a clattering halt. However, times have changed. remember what was happening back in November? The world is completely different now. The world is a very different place. And now it's time to move on. So if you want to talk about Partygate, uh, I don't. If you want to ring up and tell me about Partygate... I don't want to talk to you about it. I want to talk to you about other things. Susan Hall is here. Uh, she's the leader of the Conservatives in the Greater London Assembly. Uh, she is officially uh, the opposition to Sadiq Khan. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the Elizabeth Line, which is four billion quid over budget and three years late, and everyone's going on like it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, really, I don't think so. They've already evacuated it, so not great start really on day one 03444991000 Laura Dodsworth is here we're going to talk about wokest and wokery and the fact that a banker now has been suspended just because he had the temerity to suggest that climate change fanatics might actually be a bit nutty well I agree with him and I'm not getting suspended well not for that anyway 03444991000 will listen to me Mike Graham right here on the Independent Republican. Mike Graham let's get it started of course, the other thing we're going to talk a bit about is the fact that there are three serving police officers uh, found to have been invading the pitch uh, when Manchester City won the league the other day. And uh, despite the fact that they've broken the law nothing's going to happen to them. They've been asked to reflect on their behaviour. Isn't that nice? Susan, welcome back to the Independent Republic. A very good morning to you.
2: Good morning, Mike.
1: How the devil are you?
2: I'm fine. I'm fine. I mean,
1: what on earth is going on in this country when three serving police officers, one of them a superintendent, takes part in what is effectively an illegal um, invasion of a football pitch and they don't get prosecuted?
2: I know, I know. I mean, foolish foolish of them. I, I suppose they will say they were taken up with the moment with their team's... Etc. Etc. But it, you know they I mean, they should a know better. The superintendent
1: them? of Dorset Police breaks the law and nobody bothers about it and nobody tells them to do anything. Like even taking a fine, there's not even a fine given out.
2: No, it's I terrible. know. I, I mean, what can I say? Yeah.
1: It's, well, it's not good. We haven't spoken you and I for a while. Um, but last time we spoke, Crossrail wasn't finished. Nobody thought it would ever be finished. It's now finally been finished. Uh, it's cost four billion pounds more than it was supposed to, which is a lot of money. Um, it's just open today. They've just evacuated it at Paddington for some reason or other. Um, Sadiq Khan's going on as if it's the greatest invention since the pyramids. Is it?
2: Um, I haven't actually been there. I have been invited but been busy doing other things. Actually working. Uh, <laughs> um, I couldn't possibly say that. But um, <laughs> uh, I have a lot of faith in Andy Byford who has taken this up. But right. because we, it came as a shock to us three and a half years ago that it wasn't going to open when they said it was going to open and how it then costs so many um, millions and millions more um and and three and a half years later is beyond me but let's hope it works let's hope this is just a glitch Mm. today and we can move on i mean for
1: people who listen to this show and watch this show outside of london it'll mean literally nothing You know, Mm. because all they know is that when today there is a vote with the RMT to strike over the course of the summer, which could completely wreck every single public transportation system in the country, because all trains might not work from Manchester to London, from Birmingham to London, from, you know, Edinburgh to Glasgow, it could all go and then nobody's going to come here.
2: No, uh, the thing with the RMT—they're all on about you know up the workers and all of this. You hear this year on year. It's workers that are not going to be able to get into work mm. um, if they if they do these strikes as they're threatening. Right. I, th- I think it's disgraceful. I, sh- I don't think they should be allowed to strike because they can. Hold us all to ransom.
1: Well, also, doesn't it tell you an awful lot about the people who run these unions, that they're actually going to strike over the the course of uh, the Platinum Jubilee weekend on the tubes, and they're going to shut specifically Green Park Station, which is the one closest to Buckingham Palace?
2: Yes, absolutely outrageous. I mean, it's ideological, isn't it? Of course it is. I mean, so many of these things are absolutely outrageous. They should not be allowed to strike. I hope we manage to do something to uh, at least going forward to have a skeleton of staff there because if nothing else they they need to stop and think about this we need nurses to get to work we need police officers firefighters to get to work etc and a lot of them depend on public transport we're all told we have to use public transport and then of course they hold us to ransom because they want more and more wage increases
1: yeah i mean mick lynch right the guy that runs the rmt i saw him being interviewed last night um these guys don't make bad money. You know, tube drivers, oh, no. train drivers That's make right. pretty good money. Mick Lynch, do you know what he makes? £124,000 a year as a union
2: rep. Yeah, I know. Well, the facility time for the unions just on uh, Transport for London is exorbitant. It really is.
1: It really is unbelievable. So, I mean, I don't have any right high hopes for the RMT vote today. Um, but what can we do, for example, as a, as a government, uh, and, and, and for in your case as a local London government, to stop these strikes from taking place. Is there anything you can do?
2: Well, there's nothing we can do. We've asked Nothing legally? Can, we've asked Khan to look into it. He said they should all get round the table, but he's about as useless as nothing, as yeah. you well know. Right. Um, well, he's only he
1: just got back from California on his little oh, journey to America. What was that all about? Well,
2: you tell me. And
1: why are we paying for that, by the way?
2: Well, we're putting questions as to how much it's cost mm. and who has paid for it. And
1: how many people went with him? Because well, I've, I was staggered to see that he was in what looked like Rockefeller Plaza, outside of the old NBC building, Mm. having a sort of effectively a rally with loads of people there. Now, I don't believe that anyone in New York City knows who the hell Sadiq Khan is. So the people who were there must have been uh, organised to be there, right?
2: I I assume so. Mm. Of course they don't know who he is. I mean... (laughs) Um, outside London, I doubt that many people know who he is. No. It's pain in the neck for yeah. most of us.
1: Does he still have ambitions to be leader of the Labour Party, do you, think?
2: Course, do you think? Of course, absolutely. He'd be think encouraging
1: he... S- uh, Sir Keir Starmer to step aside if he gets done for his own beer gate scenario.
2: Well, that'll be interesting. You won't read that in any of the papers, will you? They're no. obsessed with the Prime Minister. Mm. And then there's this deathly silence when it comes to gates.
1: yes and angela Rayner yesterday had the temerity to suggest I know. that boris johnson should step aside it's like hang on a minute
2: because he's an embarrassment yeah. Uh, hello yeah <laughs> yes. yeah
1: you're the woman who said who, whose office said that you didn't go to an event which you were actually at
2: yes and she must have known that was wrong when she heard them yeah. saying that she right. wasn't there she must have known it was wrong
1: but she didn't correct it no she didn't instead she came out with all that sort of that ridiculous cock and bull story about um, you know the, um, the Sharon Stone scenario which turned oh. out to be something that she had started herself. I know
2: I mean talk about embarrassing. I mean are we
1: now at sort of the bottom troughing of, of politics because I mean Julie Hartley Brewer said to me just before we started you know I have a great deal of hope that we have politicians with integrity that we have politicians with honour and I said well to be honest I can't think of the last time I looked up to people who are our MPs or our cabinet or our government ministers with anything other than just they're doing a job. I don't expect them to be moral crusaders. I certainly don't want them to tell me how to behave and how to live my life. But I don't really look up to them. I never have.
2: No, but equally, I don't think the public knows an awful lot of the work that that MPs do. Um, they certainly do do more yes. than, than is oh, in the Oh, no, listen, code. I get that. But, but the of, fact, of both sides, of all sides. The, the
1: trouble with, with the stories that have been coming out of late, though, Susan, is that, is that the impression is given that the, MP, the MPs in the Commons are having this kind of party lifestyle, having a great time, you know, um, occasionally doing things they shouldn't be doing um, and, and not doing very much work. And you and I both know that's not true. But that's the impression.
2: Yes, and it's very damaging to politics. I mean, lots of these so-called parties or leaving dues or whatever they were, they were organised by civil servants. Yeah. They weren't organised by the politicians. Right. But as always... They, the politicians are the ones that are in the front line mm. but there are so many very good politicians of all different parties that are out there really working very very hard mm. and those of us that are in politics do see it we also see ones that maybe aren't so much. Well, let's
1: talk about Sadiq Khan a bit more because he's not one that seems to do an awful lot of work. And I know that from your conversation with me in the past, you were always frustrated at the fact that quite often during lockdowns and during COVID, he just didn't have um, Mayor's Question Time at all, did he?
2: He just went missing. Yeah. Nobody knows. He just went missing. Um, Didn't do anything. So, I mean, he'll never get... um, Accused of having, having any um, knees up because right. nobody knew where he was, what he was doing. Right. He just wasn't interacting with anybody.
1: And how is it now? Is it any better?
2: Well, he comes down to this new building where he's put us in um, the Victoria Docks. I mean, it, it's. Oh, what? You're
1: not in the, we, in, the, in the Globe building anymore? No,
2: we're not in the proper. Well, what's going on in there? I I don't know. I, nothing. I, I think it's empty.
1: So what, they've evacuated that office in order for you to work further away from the centre of town?
2: Further away from central town. People don't want to go there. Constituents that used to come and see us to ask us issues, obviously you can get to London yeah. Bridge quite easily. Yes. You cannot get down to where the crystal is easily. Right. Um, and it's quite sad today coming here, looking mm. at the old building, thinking yeah. it was purpose built and that... that
1: and what's the plan Man for it then? Man moved us. Are they are they selling it off? What?
2: No, we don't. We don't own it. It's owned by um, by other people. Right.
1: So, what, well, they're just going to rent it out to somebody else.
2: I honestly don't know. That's, just, that's a shocking thing. I mean, I
1: for me, not to know that is quite shocking. But also, I didn't. I mean, I had no clue that was what was going on.
2: Yes, it's 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 appalling. Everybody is was against it, including the Labour members, mm. but they didn't speak up. Right. Uh, they just certainly didn't speak up loud enough. No, right. we're we're. we're I call it the arse end of the East End, uh, (laughs) (laughs) which goes down like a lead balloon. But But it is, though. I mean, it's so difficult to get there. It really is. And you only need one of your connections to go wrong. Yeah. um, And we have to be there for half past nine, which is fine. Right. But when you live the other side of London, so I'm leaving home sort of quarter past six. That's
1: ridiculous. an absolute maniac. Well, we'll come back to that. Um, Susan Hall is here. She's the leader of the opposition uh, for a change, a decent leader of the opposition, unlike the one in Parliament. She's the leader of the opposition against Sadiq Khan. Uh, So there's lots of things to talk about. The RMT will be voting later on. We'll talk about that. We will also talk, of course, uh, about the police invading a football pitch illegally and not being punished for it. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is a party gate-free zone, by the way. Uh, if you really want to call me up and talk to me about that, you better have a damn good reason, because otherwise it's not going to happen. 0344 499 1000. Loads of people going, oh, Mike Graham, he's not democratic. Yes, I am. This is Talk TV. On DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Susan Hall is here with us. She is, of course, the representative of the Tory party uh, in the Greater London Assembly, which unbeknownst to me has been moved from the big building that used to be right by Tower Bridge to some place in the East End. Mm -hmm. I won't repeat what Susan called it, but um, I think I absolutely agree with you. Local elections wise, though, um, because people always say to me, how is it that Sadiq Khan, who seems to be so unpopular, keeps winning um, uh, and getting back in as mayor? But in Harrow, there was a little bit of at least a, uh, a glint was. of light, wasn't there?
2: There was. We won the council back in, in Harrow. Right. So very happy about that. Mm. And we got lots of new um, people joining us because of these wretched LTNs and cycle yeah. ends. Uh, so... Which have
1: totally ruined London. I mean, you literally yes. cannot now get from point A to point B. I mean, maybe no. Crossrail and Elizabeth Line, whatever you want to call it, will be a success because so it's so hard to get across town now.
2: Well, it is. And you only have to... I mean, I spend too long on Twitter, I accept that, but uh, I follow a lot of black cabs. Um, oh, and they're beside themselves, they're, aren't they? They are. They really are. These wretched LTNs, and then you, you drive past cycle lanes, or rather you slowly chug past mm. cycle lanes. Very few um, used to the extent one would hope that they be yeah. used. The amount of road space they're taking up. Um, it just is makes nonsense. much Listen, sense. Listen, I've got
1: perfect um, sympathy with cyclists who want to use a cycle lane. And I know that during rush hour they do use them. Mm. But surely it would have been a better idea to have a sort of a, a changeable lane, if you like. Because a cycle lane, mostly, when I, when I, when I, I still drive in and out... Um, The cycle lanes are busy in the mornings, busy in the evenings, rush hour, but during the rest of the day, completely deserted. So why wouldn't you just open the road to everybody at that point?
2: Yeah, like a bus lane, I suppose.
1: Make it like a a bus lane, which is a sort of temporary cycle lane at certain times of the day. That surely would be more sensible.
2: Yeah, I don't know why they haven't done that. There's probably a very good reason.
1: Yeah, well, but, I mean, uh, they must be spending an absolute fortune. I mean, do you ever see the accounts and how much cycling <laughs> business has cost London and Londoners?
2: No, I th- I think I'd be mortified.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. Let's talk a bit about um, what it is that uh, the Labour Party now stands for, because that's what I always like to ask people, either from the Labour Party or from any other party. Keir Starmer whatever his uh, situation is with Beergate um, is still the leader of the opposition but they don't seem to have very many ideas the only idea they've now finally fallen upon is a windfall tax on uh, energy companies but obviously Boris Johnson doesn't want to do that what's your view of the sort of situation with the cost of living crisis what should we do or what can we do
2: well I think the green taxes uh, I would look at right um, certainly, because I think they make up something like 25% yes, of our bills. of our energy bills. Yeah, that
1: seems like a no-brainer to me.
2: Well, or even if they reduced it, I think that would be something that would uh, be good for everybody. Yeah. Um, there's a case for looking at the VAT on certain things. Yeah. Um, we should be looking at that. I'm not particularly for a windfall tax. I know lots of people, yeah. most people are, um, but actually it would bring in such a little amount. It sends the wrong message I think to businesses and whilst especially people like Keir Starmer want to knock businesses all the time it is businesses Mm. that give people jobs and it's jobs that get people out of poverty and my
1: worry about a windfall tax as well is that all it does is it takes money from the people who are charging so much money for their service when it should be right really and the other way around we should be forcing them to charge less so that people
2: spend less money because
1: otherwise people it's not saving anybody any money and giving and i'm not comfortable with the idea of a conservative government handing money out to the people and saying oh sorry you can't afford uh, to live in the house you're in here's 500 quid
2: well the government have been trying to do everything they can to increase jobs to get people out of poverty and that Mm. is the way to do it so people can earn their money um and And feel a sense of worth Mm. and then hopefully there'd be more money left in the system to look after those that really do need looking after people with disabilities etc or people that have fallen on hard times Mm. through no um, no. Genuinely. Because, yes. I mean, the and thing is. Happens, that, yes. And obviously,
1: people, I think, have some sympathy for the government in, in the sense that they didn't see COVID coming and didn't expect it to come. No. However, um, there was an awful lot of money wasted. You know, we gave away loads of money to people who were fraudulently claiming it. We should have been better at that. You know, we've written off, what, five billion quid that people claimed with from companies that had literally just been set up that day. And I... somehow they then managed to, to con the government into paying the money.
2: I think they are looking into that. Um, but we also as with everything to do with COVID, we need to go back in our minds to how things were. Mm. We were all frightened. We were all... So many of us were at home, either furloughed or still being paid. And we were the lucky ones. Mm. Um, You know, that money has got to be found from somewhere. We've got to... We've got to get back to some sort of normality, but not forget the dreadful state we were all in. Mm. Um, And that goes back to all these, these parties or... Whatever else that people forget, that most of us were at home yeah. where we knew we were safe yes. because we didn't know how bad this was. No. And before people uh, had the um, injection, they um, the we we had no sense of whether it would kill us off. Quite frankly, no. and with care homes etc. I know why they were then so very careful and didn't let people in because they were terrified that they'd end up with it getting into the care homes. Yeah. And basically, killing off the, yeah. the, the residents. Well, which,
1: which to a large extent ended it up did. happening anyway. Yeah. But of course, we're now getting an awful lot of sort of, um, um, you know realignment shall we say to, to be kind and a different remembering uh, by various people i mean jeremy hunt for example came out the other day and said oh i was never in favor of lockdowns oh really well why didn't you say so at the time you know reese mogg jacob reese mogg has said well i wasn't in favor of a lot of the restrictions that were brought in but we had cabinet responsibility we couldn't say anything yeah. i think a lot of people would have preferred for those people to have stood up and said actually i don't think this is right
2: yeah well hindsight's a wonderful thing ask keir Starmer. yeah i mean oh captain hindsight Captain hindsight i mean and we we didn't know at the time people need to go back to their own thoughts and remember yeah. how frightened we all were we were all tuning in at five o'clock to see what that day's news was at the
1: beginning but certainly not towards the, the the end of 2020 i don't think i mean towards the end of 2020 i think certainly here at talk radio uh we were asking a lot more questions and saying are yes, you, you really are. sure that this is what we need to do and when the second lockdown came it was like the first lockdown didn't really work, so and you cr- you killed off an awful lot of businesses. I mean, I don't know what your view is of of how London has recovered. I mean, it seems very be- much busier now. Tourists are coming back. There's a lot more money in the economy here, but there's still lots of parts of London that are quite destitute, aren't there?
2: Yes, there are. It's it's definitely come back in pockets, mm. and I assume it will continue to do that. Mm. But hopefully, when now we've, we're all far more secure in our thoughts and yes. we're, we're, we feel safer. I mean, there's hardly anybody wearing masks, except no. on the underground now. And the underground is very busy. Mm. I can definitely vouch for that. I can certainly that.
1: vouch for that. Every time I go on it, in fact, it's absolutely rammed, no matter yeah. what time of the day or night it is. Yeah. But now, of course, they're trying it on with monkeypox, telling us, oh, we must be, make, be careful. This is how COVID started. And I mean, I don't think anybody in their right mind is any in any way concerned about monkeypox because it's like chickenpox. That's, That's right. pretty much what they say. We used to have chickenpox parties.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, so that everybody. You give would, it to everyone, yeah. get, You did it for your kids. I mean, I'm so not sure. We yes. should have
1: a monkeypox no. party, but I mean, you know, I've heard worse ideas.
2: Yes, no, that's right. No, but it's certain media outlets, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, I, I loved your comments at the beginning of the programme. It's right. As some of these outlets are absolutely shocking.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. I'm actually, I never thought I'd say this, but I'm actually ashamed to claim that I'm in the same business as some of these people because they are so absolutely and utterly biased yes, you know they are that the, the, they actually now not only are they biased in one political direction but they actually change facts they actually don't report things because they don't want to yeah they don't say things that everybody knows happens to be the case it's extraordinary yeah.
2: but if you only get your news from one of those outlets then that's what you assume to mm. be the case and that's why it's quite dangerous
1: yeah oh, i think that's absolutely right well listen uh, we're pretty much out of time so it's great to see you um must see you again i'm sure at various different points what have you got on for the rest of the day
2: um i'm going in for meetings at city hall and later this week i've got fire committee and then the police committee um where my colleagues from other parties will be asking of course about partygate
1: of course they will (laughs) and you can ask us on our behalf or for our for our listeners point of view and our viewers point of view uh ask cadi khan just how much money he's spent on cycle lanes and see if you can get an answer
2: i will put in the official question
1: very good thank you very <laughs> much indeed susan hall uh, opposition leader at the Greater london assembly which has now moved outside of london for some reason well almost this is talk tv the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio uh, how about this from Steve in London? If the RMT votes to strike after taxpayers protected their jobs whilst they did nothing during COVID, uh, Grant Shap should move forward with automation as fast as possible. If we can do it with cars on the road, how is it so difficult to do it with cars on rails? Well, I think that's absolutely right. You know, we've already got... In many parts of, uh, of the country, uh, automated uh, machinery. For example, uh, they've got a tram service uh, in Edinburgh, uh, which I think runs without drivers. I'm not entirely sure. We've certainly got the uh, DLR, Docklands Light Railway here in London, uh, which runs without drivers. And you don't need drivers. It just runs on its own, automated completely by somebody in a control room. The London Tube Network does have drivers, but doesn't really need them because, again, runs on rails, could absolutely be fine uh, without any kind of uh, supervision whatsoever. The RMT people make a great deal of money. The man in charge, Mick Lynch, makes £124,000 a year as the union representative. Now, that, you would have to say, is not exactly socialism, is it? 0344 499 1000. We'll take your calls coming up throughout the course of the show. Let's kick things off with Joanne, who's in Birmingham. Hi, Joanne.
3: Hello, all right?
1: How are you doing? What can I do for you?
3: Um, well, I went to see the granddaughter, because she's currently doing her A-level last mm. night. And it comes to our attention that she won't be able to go to university if she hasn't had all of the vaccinations, which we were completely
4: shocked really? about. Yeah, which she has not had any Because she hasn't had any
3: vaccinations, so she can't go to university without being vaccinated. And right. so we wondered how many other parents, grandparents, family members... Out there, we're not, aware of it. No, we're
1: not aware of it. Well, I certainly wasn't aware of it. When did they inform you of all this then? Four weeks ago. This is the granddaughter. Sorry, I'm yeah. the husband. That's, That's the all right. She you carry on. We, uh, we went to visit, so say four and a half weeks ago. We said, How are you getting on? All that good stuff. How's your A levels doing? She said, I can't follow on because we've all been informed that. Unless you're fully vaccinated, you can't go. Well, she's young and fit, she doesn't need vaccinated. No, it's ridiculous. And also, there's no mandatory vaccine in this country, so that is a massive issue. Let me check that out, guys, because it's a very interesting piece of information. I'm going to go and and wag a few tails and shake a few heads and see what's going on. Joanne, thank you very much indeed, and your husband. Um, How ridiculous is that? If you're a parent, you might be able to tell me. If you're sending your kids to university, are they being told they have to be vaccinated? Because that, to me, is a massive invasion of their privacy what's it got to do with them and uh, let's talk to um um Lisa uh, who's down at the sun Lisa Minow travel editor of course because uh, there's plenty to talk about right now not least the opening uh, of the new um what was called crossrail now called the Elizabeth line uh, which has kicked off this morning uh, they've already evacuated it which uh, might bode not particularly well but these things do happen Lisa very very good um, morning to you welcome Morning. We're going to talk probably more more about railways now today than we ever have because we've got the RMT uh, strike ballot going on, which could completely cripple the country over yeah. the course of the summer months. Um, I'm not quite sure. We've been trying to find out from the RMT when uh, the result of the ballot will be made available and when the ballot actually closes. But believe it or not, we haven't been able to raise anybody at the RMT today because they all appear to be working from home and nobody's answering the phone. <laughs>
3: Yes, well, I mean, (laughs) I don't know what to say about that. I do know that, you know, whatever the outcome is, and the outcome does seem to be that it would be that there is going to be some kind of strike action. It's not going to be happening until after um, the Jubilee weekend, but we still have that action being held independently at Euston Station, um, which is going to impact the Jubilee celebrations. Um, And again, just really frustrating for people who are only just getting back to work, only just getting back on their feet, um, huge cost of living crisis we've got at the moment and this really doesn't help your average working community, your average working person who's just trying to earn a living.
1: Yes, well I was talking to people just the other day and I know from, from seeing, you know, just anecdotal information on this show that people tweet me in all the time, there's an awful lot of rail cancellations still going on. People who commute into London tell me that, you know, from places like Surrey, the fast trains cancelled, they can only take the slow train now, the fast train never runs anymore in the morning and it never runs anymore in the afternoon and all they get told by by the rail staff is that oh we don't have we have got a shortage of drivers
3: yeah i mean i'm the same i mean i'm commuting from actually a station which is in zone six right into london bridge and we went from um sort of six to eight trains an hour pre-pandemic to two trains an hour right. um, and it's very gradually coming back on board but um i mean it really is a struggle for people and this is yet another Thing that they're going to have to deal with, but I think whereas there might have been sympathy in the past, now the idea that you know that they are demanding these you know ever increasing wages, um, protections for their pet- pensions um, at a time when the rest of the country really is still having to suffer the same amount and doesn't have the power to mm. shut a rail network down. No,
1: exactly right, and the fact remains that it's still very, very um, reasonable for people to want to drive around the country, and we're always being told oh, you must get out of your cars and use public transport but for large portions of the country outside of the big cities, the only way to get anywhere is in a car
3: Right? yeah i mean exactly yeah i think we are very lucky in london The infrastructure in london is fantastic and you know even when it doesn't work well we've still got lots of options um the minute you go outside of the capital and outside of the sort of regional larger cities things are really much of a, much more of a challenge um and people do need to get into their cars yeah. and any kind of, sort of you know railway can going to impact people you know quite significantly
1: yeah, exactly right. And as far as the other business of travel is concerned, I and mean, we've got these sort of half term holidays looming large in about a yeah. week's time. Um, a lot of people that I know trying to go away are telling me that the flights are so expensive now that they're just taking the mickey. You know, flights that used to cost 100 quid are now 400 quid. Um, and there doesn't seem to be any end in sight for that.
3: No, I mean, and I, I wish I could have better news for you. I mean, you, if you look at it anecdotally, um, yes, it does seem that a flights are really expensive at certain times. But- particularly the half term but actually flights across the board at the moment are about the same level as 2019 if a little bit less if you look at it across the year Um, and I think that is going to change you're talking about airlines that have lost billions upon billions um, over the last two years they have got to make that money up somehow Um, and as we all start to travel again you get that supply and demand the more people who want to travel the more they can charge for flights and they also have the other added issue is is that there aren't as many flights as they used to be pre-pandemic no Airline is yet back up to their schedules that they had before the pandemic, mainly because they haven't yet recruited enough staff and we've seen particularly that's an issue and remains an issue with both BA and with EasyJet.
1: Yeah, it really is a difficult problem, isn't it? And so, as far as the COVID restrictions are concerned, it looks as though by the summertime, most of those will have disappeared and uh, hopefully yeah. monkeypox does not, uh, you know, come in, come in as the next great, great threat that stops us going anywhere. Um, yeah. But I think we've all sort of learned from what happened before that that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Because even the government are now saying, actually, we probably didn't need to put all those travel restrictions on uh, at that time anyway. Um, but, I mean, have, have we got anything to look forward to sort of for the summer holidays, at least? I mean, are things going to get any cheaper? Are we going to be able to get anywhere um, easier?
3: I mean, I think we definitely are. I mean, we've had the announcement um, just in the last 24 hours that Spain has now dropped their vaccination requirements. So that's going to be a huge boost for families, particularly families who have children who are only just turning 12. Mm. All of a sudden, they've got to have two jabs. And that was a real struggle for a lot of families. Yeah. Um, but then you're also looking at the likes of someone like Turkey, at the moment, hugely popular for Brits. Um, mainly because cost of living there um, and and actually what our pound will buy in Turkish lira is really good. That's my tip for the summer in terms of if you're looking somewhere that's really good value this summer. Right. Um, I think Turkey is definitely somewhere to go. One of their beach resorts, you know, Talia, Bodrum, places like that, Izmir, all places that I think are going to get really good value this summer.
1: Right, okay. Brilliant stuff. Lisa, thank you very much indeed. Lisa Minow, travel editor at The Sun there, with a bit of hope for you. If you're hoping to go away in the summer, uh, if you're trying to go away now, uh, it's not going to be that easy because it's very expensive. Flights are absolutely through the roof. Uh, what used to be a sort of a quick week away with the kids uh, to somewhere like Spain has become suddenly a massive investment uh, in the future. But Maybe by the summer it might get a little bit better. But let's talk a bit more about the RMT as well because uh, the Mail this morning say power blackouts, petrol shortages and empty shelves loom if rail unions vote to strike. Well, we'll see about that. This is Talk TV.
3: Eddie talk, plain talk,
1: unrivaled talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper
0: serving of good old fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate,
5: the independent republic of Mike Graham.
0: See it, hear it, think
1: it. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham right here on Talk TV, the one place where you hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and it's unadorned. Uh, you can take the view uh, that you don't like some of the views that I have, but you cannot argue uh, that we bring you the real stories and we bring you the real issues. And the thing that people want to talk about this morning uh, is the cost of living crisis, the upcoming rail strike, which is going to cripple this country if it goes ahead. The RMT are taking to the ballots today, uh, and they're probably going to vote for a strike. We just had a member of the RMT on uh, who couldn't tell us why uh, they were striking? He couldn't tell us whether uh, he wanted to vote to strike, and didn't know what the terms and conditions were that he objected to. Uh, which, of course, has got nothing to do with the terms and conditions. Do you know that the head of the union behind uh, the tube strike, which is coming up, a guy called Mick Lynch, has earned more than seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds in the last seven years? He's currently on a salary of one hundred and twenty-four grand, uh, and he's complaining about the fact that tube and train drivers get a rough deal. Well, he certainly doesn't. He's doing rather well. Thank you very much indeed. Laura Donsworth is here with us to set the world to rights, as she always does every Tuesday. We'll be talking about a great many things, including transgender in the House of Lords. Or is it ladies? Or is it it's none? Uh, I don't know now. What do you call it? Anyway, we'll be talking about that. Plus, of course, uh, we'll be talking about uh, the guy who was suspended uh, from his job as a banker because he called the climate change nutters, nutters. Well, what's wrong with that? And also, of course, we will not be talking about Partygate because we know that you don't want to talk about it. You've had enough of Partygate. So have I. So has Laura. It's not happening. This is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Uh, Let's do it right now. Laura, a very good morning to you. (laughs)
5: Let's do it right now. Let's do it. Let's talk. Let's do it. Um, Do you know, you really wrapped yourself up in knots, didn't you, about the House of Lords? And that's the thing with this story. It is actually very hard to describe without falling over and getting very confused talking about male, female, man, woman pronouns in order to explain what it is you're actually talking about. I'll give you an example. I brought this quote with me so that I wouldn't get this wrong because The Telegraph's written about it um, today, written about this story. And it said, it said um, that this transgender. Lord slash lady yes. could be the first trans peer and only female hereditary member. So, this is where we get automatically right. into the thorny ground. You do not have female hereditary. No. So, peers. let's start at the beginning though, because not everybody the knows the story. So, we've no, got a situation.
1: First of all, let me just lay the background to the hereditary peers because Tony Blair, of course, famously wanted to get rid of all hereditary peers, yeah. uh, which he almost did, apart from about 99, I think. And mm. so, every so often, one hereditary peer dies, yeah. and is replaced by the next in line in oh. that particular thing. They However, they to
5: contest it, don't they? There can
1: be an election for yeah. it, which is also kind of counterintuitive because it's the House of Lords where there are no elections.
5: Yeah, well, I'm, I, you know, this isn't my field of expertise, and let's not fall down that. But of course, you're in this strange uh, situation where they have to apply to contest in the election, and the Lord Chancellor gives approval or not. So we're in a strange situation where somebody who is now known as Matilda Simon, right. but was formerly
1: Baron somebody right,
5: Matthew Simon. Right when when the father died, um, became Matilda Simon. But otherwise, would have become Baron Simon of Withenshaw. Uh
3: huh.
5: So are you following me so far? So
1: far, so good.
5: Okay. So Matilda Simon has actively put herself forward. I'm going to use the female pronoun I think because you that's should. what Matilda would choose to use. Yes, but it does make this conversation. Confusing. Matilda has put herself forward actively to um, be in the House of Lords. Right. Now, putting herself forward actively means applying on the basis of having been born male, Mm. asserting her right as a natal male. Listen to this. Mm. Asserting her right as a natal male. This is what I mean. It's impossible to even talk about this story. Um, But, of course, (laughs) you can't be a baron if you are female. If she was a
1: sorry to compl- complicate it even further, if she had been the the former baron's daughter. She would not presumably have been eligible. No. To to, to take no, over. No.
5: There are a few no. ladies. There have been a few exceptions. I'm afraid I can't speak of what those peculiar legal situations were allowed. That I, I think it's more common for for Scottish mm. peers than English peers. There right. are a couple of little loopholes, but essentially you do have to be the oldest boy in the family yes. to get your seat right. in the House it's of a bit Lords. Bit like being the heir to the throne, isn't it? Yeah. Now. I think, you know, Sam Leith wrote a fantastic article about this Mm. in The Spectator. Right. And if you read it, all will be clear, clearer than we can do, um, you know, with our ham-fisted use of pronouns right here and now. Mm. But essentially what we have here is a lady who wants her cake and eat it. Yes. This is a lady who wants her pronouns and her peerage. Mm. And you cannot really have both, you know. You've got to pick a horse in this race. Either you've changed your gender and magically become a woman with Mm. all the legal privileges and protections that confers, or you're a man that gets your seat in the House of Lords. And if she was to
1: get the seat, right, she couldn't presumably call herself Lord whatever it is. Could she?
5: Well, no, Matilda's now a lady. Lord Matilda. I suppose... Of
1: transgender.
5: would uh, would, (laughs) Would Matilda still be Matilda but be a baron?
1: Baron Matilda.
5: You see... The reason that we have this kind of... very weird, isn't it? Yeah, the reason we have this kind of legal fiction Mm. is because of a strange loophole in the 2004 Gender Recognition Act. So the Gender Recognition Act gives people the right to transition from male to female or from female to male based on certain criteria. But there was a clause. There's an exemption. And I've brought the quote with me so that I get this absolutely right because it's an interesting one. Um... There's an exception for gender reassignment where it does not affect the descent of any peerage or dignity or title of honour. So basically, you can change sex except when it comes to power, peerage,
1: uh-huh.
5: and titles.
1: Bizarre. Because it is even bizarre. in the crown now, you can have a female. Uh, as part of the line of succession, can't you?
5: Yeah, so this, this was put into place to avoid the whole thorny discussion of primogeniture yes. but i think it says more than I that i think trying to
1: remember that word I think Thank you.
5: it's all right i think what it really says is that lawmakers think it's completely okay to say you've changed your sex except when it comes to the most privileged seats in the country and to titles and estates and power and money yes and it's funny isn't it, it works one way but not the other mm. so sex trumps identity when it comes to a peerage but sex doesn't trump identity when it comes to women's prisons women's sports women's refuges in those cases yes. identity matters more and the use of the word dignity in that phrase is really interesting because i feel in a lot of cases where women are worried that their that their female based rights are being eroded mm. in the case of prisons sports changing rooms their dignity isn't really considered in the same way it has been to reserve those seats in the house of yes. lords for blokes yes
1: i think we should just abolish the house of lords and then we wouldn't have the problem what do you think
5: um, yeah, I'm, I also don't agree with the House of Lords, but you know, we are where we are. And I don't think you can look on what's happening now as any kind of subtle form to subvert what happens. Mm. This doesn't mean that women are suddenly going to get their seats reserved from in the House of Lords or that those eldest daughters are no. going to, to get their no. seats, because that would require a different change of law. What this really is, is about a lady who wants her cake and eat it.
1: How about this one for you? What if a daughter changed her sex to male?
5: But the clause She still would
1: not be allowed. She would technically not,
5: she she slash he would not be allowed because that is what the clause in the Gender Recognition Act states. Mm. That you cannot um change your sex to change your um acquisition of a yeah. peerage or title.
1: Right.
5: That's well. the only reason Matilda can get it, because Matilda is male.
1: But Matilda still has to run the course of an election then.
5: Yeah. With
1: with only within the peers, right? So only the ninety eight or whatever. Vote, I think,
5: for the for me, this looks like a foregone conclusion. What do you think, Mike? Well, I don't know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass- so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
3: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: For anyone who wanted to be a peer in that situation who didn't become one, who somehow lost out to somebody else, because there can't be really a competition, because the only people that can stand to inherit... A hereditary peerage, are mm. those who are in line to do so. So it's only really a choice if there's more than one of them in the same family, presumably.
5: Mm. I think we know That's which race is going to win this race.
1: It's, and also, we're paying these people.
5: It What's is going on? It is absolutely bonkers. But I have to say, as a gender recognition at geek, I've been waiting for this to happen, <laughs> because that clause has been there since 2004, and here we go, yeah. the real-life example of... The legal fiction made absolutely Absolute apparent madness. to the nation.
1: Madness. Let's talk about flags because that's yeah. also something that's got you this morning, hasn't it? Got your goat.
5: As well, I think I think there's been some... I think it was quite magical, actually, to see Regent Street bedecked with Union Lovely. flags. Lovely. Yes. Yeah, Why not? definitely. It looked really happy, mm. really festive. Yeah. And, of course, Regent Street's been festooned with Union flags yeah. in order to celebrate the um, Platinum Jubilee. Quite right, too. As you'll know, not only do I want to polish the House of Lords, I'm something of a polite Republican, but come on. Yeah. You but know, this is
3: also... It's, it's
5: 70, not just 70 years. It's
1: also an homage to a woman who has been absolutely brilliant as a, as a woman... Fantastic as a supreme kind of uh, leader, world leader for for so many decades and just a fantastic advert for Britain.
5: Absolutely. Now, a certain political activist has described the scene of flags in Regent Street Mm. as fascism. Idiot. I don't want to name this person because I don't feel this story should be about them. It should instead be about a type of snowflakery that associates the Union flag with fascism. I think this is really unfortunate. What the Union flag actually represents is the United Kingdom. Yes, It's the United Kingdom and it's not a fascist flag. And in this case, when we see those flags festooning our streets Mm. is to celebrate the platinum jubilees to celebrate the queen and you know what ironic is is if you
1: had run all the flags up that's uh, taken all the union flags down and put them all uh, replaced them all with ukrainian flags that would be fine
5: no absolutely that's
1: absolutely no problem
5: well i i I can make a little prediction here i think that probably some of the people who'll be complaining the most Mm. about the union flag will be the ones who've got Ukrainian flag avatars on social media because one form of nationalism is okay and another form of nationalist pride, not fascism, Mm. is not okay. Mm. I mean, the streets where I live, which are also festooned in union flag bunting, at no point have I thought, gosh, I better not walk down that street. It's a ghetto of fascism. That's dangerous. What I thought was how cheerful, how nice, yeah. how lovely to see people celebrating after a couple of years of flipping well-being in the doldrums. Yes. And also how
1: nice to be proud of your country. Yes. You know, we don't say that it's the best country in the world. Some people do. Why not? But, you know, you can. The point is, is that even if you don't think it is the perfect place to be, it's still our country and we should be yeah. proud. I spoke to a German guy um, when the last World Cup was on, uh, the one before Russia. Was that? Maybe it was the Russian one. Um, And it was Germany were knocked out and we were watching in a pub together and he happened to be sitting there and he was German, so we chatted. And he said it was only really in the World Cup that the Germans hosted in 2006 that Germany and people in Germany could actually be proud of their flag again because they spent so long being ashamed of what had happened during the Second World War that they couldn't really get their heads into it, they couldn't discuss it, they couldn't talk about it. Mm. But we'll come back to that because we've got to stop for a minute. Um, And he said only now, and we're talking 50 years on, could they actually face looking at their own flag? And I think we are in danger of being in that place. This is Talk TV, Talk Radio, Bosh
5: Berserk, lively debate now with zero percent drift and dither.
1: Always read the label. A roadmap for the future of debate. Talk Radio on DAB Plus on the app. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Laura Dodsworth is here. We were just talking about the German flag and the German experience, and you yeah, know a bit about that.
5: I do. I mean, I felt a little bit emotional when you even mentioned it, because I'm half German. Mm. I was bullied quite badly as a child for a period in, of time at country. school. Yeah, Yeah, in this country, mm. for being half German. My dad used to deny being German. Wow. I've I've been in the interesting situation of being on a lift with my dad, and he was asked his nationality. He said a very strange transatlantic accent, and he said he was Lithuanian. And wouldn't really? you know it, the person who asked him Lithuanian started speaking Lithuanian. Oh god. <laughs> That's uh, like your worst excruciating nightmare. nightmare. But um I so I think I think there's um there's a great sadness when people aren't proud of their nation. Now Personally, I'm tired of the self-flagellation and the self-hatred in this country. There is so much to be proud of. And ultimately, this self-hatred, it's its bitter. Mm. You know, these people aren't being snowflakes. They're being nasty. And carrying around this kind of bitterness, this bile, yeah. is ultimately not just hurting them. Because they're the ones who are experiencing it and carrying it around. Right. But all of us, it rubs off on us. Yes. I do not feel our flag is fascist. No. I love seeing the celebration. And it just looks nasty and petty, and it's taking away from the joy of the yeah. events. But also, these are all the same we people. We all need to reclaim the flag. Yeah, Everybody needs totally. to say, it's not fascist. I'm not giving into that. I'm not going to be ashamed. My mum has the Union flag in her front garden, right? and she has St George's cross in her wow. back garden. And I think it's Good really sweet. She's fiercely patriotic. But these are the patriotic. same people
1: who love the idea of waving um. EU flags. I mean, I remember back to uh, the days of the uh, the Brexit negotiations and and the stalemate in the House of Commons when mm-hmm. we were down on College Green practically every day for months on end, and there was huge swathes of EU flags flying outside the media set, sort of centre where we all were, mm-hmm. and they love they love the, those flags. They don't have a problem with those flags. When you take a union flag and suddenly you're a fascist mm-hmm. or a bigot or some kind of racist. It's mad. Yeah. Totally bonkers.
5: It is. We we should have had little flags today. Let's get them next week. Let's buy yes. some little flags while we're talking. Well, do you know
1: I have got some because have we you? did we did them. I think for I, can't remember, I think it was for Brexit. We actually flew little flags. I've got some still in my house. I'll let's, bring them.
5: Let's get some. You'll upset the some. snowflakes, but I have a feeling you won't mind.
1: I don't think I'll mind that at all. <laughs> Speaking of snowflakes, what about HSBC mm. um, and the suspension of a banker who had the temerity to suggest that the climate change nutters were in fact nutters and mm. maybe. Uh, there was not such a financial uh, sort of bill to pay yeah. because of climate change. And he's now been removed from his job. Extraordinary.
5: Well, he's suspended pending investigation. So, this is Stuart Kirk. He's um, a global head of all um, risk or asset management yeah. or something, something senior in highfalutin HSBC. And he prepared a talk on um, climate change and the impact on investments, which was approved by all of the management. So, everybody saw it. But still, when he gave it, there were complaints about him. He's been suspended and being investigated. Mm. You know, funnily enough, all these stories today, Mike, and so much of what's going on in society, they all have a common thread yes. that runs through them. You know, climate, transgender ideology, critical race theory, mm. a little bit different to the flag, but there's, you know, there's some cross Same kind there. of idea. Yep. They're all kind of quasi-religious. Mm. They all demand that you accept the dogma fully, that there is no deviation, that heretics are punished. I feel that there's some um, a stage of society we're at now where we're living in a kind of a post-religious vacuum, yeah. and people are they're grasping for values, but they're grasping for them in the most nasty and intolerant way. So it seems that a plurality of views, at HSBC on climate, are not to be accepted. Now, to be fair, he didn't deny um, the IPCC reports. He said there was a risk he would be uh, labelled as a heretic yeah. by the nut jobs. He acknowledged that, Which for instance, is indeed
1: what he has been labelled. He
5: has been. He acknowledged, for instance, that in the future there could be more fires. But what he said was also as economies become richer, as societies become richer, you are able to use financing to adapt to those risks mm. of climate change to mitigate them. There is nothing wrong with saying that. That's a no. good thing. We were talking about this just last week, that in fact um, the BBC got their claims wrong about um, deaths increasing right? from climate yeah. change, whereas, in fact, deaths are going down. As societies, we become better at managing floods, fires, yeah. tsunamis, storms and the rest mm. of it. So I think he's right that fires are going to increase, but the sort of fires that are really increasing the fires where people stock up the pyres and uh-huh. burn the witches, burn the heretics. Yes. And there he is. But he's a lot on- of
1: reasons for some of the fires, certainly in Australia and in California, are actually down to manoeuvring... By local councils stroke governments to change the way that the the land is actually managed, because in order to protect the climate, they have done things which weren't previously done, which would provide sort of natural fire breaks and that kind of thing. So a lot of the bushfires that happen in, uh, in Australia are now happening because they're not doing a particular thing that they used to do because it's dangerous for the climate so actually it's counterproductive and that yeah. is not what people want to hear.
5: Yeah, I know I know the fires are really multifactorial but you're right people don't want to hear it and on a similar vein one of the points that Stuart Kirk made was that in the bank in the banks not just HSBC you know the wonks in the back room are having to twist the modelling Mm. to make it say what the climate activists want it to say in a sense in essence they're kind of having to bend the truth Mm. to make the fact match the i won't say fiction ideology it's
1: the the narrative shall we say that they have all sucked in and believed without really a shred of evidence and that's what amazes me the other one i loved this week was the complete hypocrisy being created by kpmg who say basically in order not to be uh uh, avoiding uh, you know inclusivity you mustn't talk about your skiing holiday and you mustn't talk about the fact that you went to private school and you mustn't talk about the fact that you might have had quite a privileged upbringing because it might upset people who didn't Mm -hmm. and you go so you're not actually telling people not to go skiing you're telling people to lie about where you went on holiday yeah in, in order to protect somebody who hasn't said that they're bothered by it
5: yeah, I mean huh? it's it's absolute it's absolutely ridiculous. So I I don't go on skiing holidays and didn't go to private school. I'm jolly well glad for people that can afford villas with butlers in in yeah. the Maldives wherever. Go go for it. That's nice. And no one should have to lie about it mm. in front of other people. People have to toughen up a little bit. I mean, really? Again there's a similar sto- there's a similar theme there between KPMG and um and HSBC. HSBC. You know, you can tell people not to invest mm. in fossil fuels and you know the sin list. But that doesn't mean they're not going to, and they're no. not going to use oil. Right. You know, you can shame them about it. Mm. But in fact, you'll find that those stocks are doing really well at the moment. Mm. Um, you, you can't change the dependence on oil overnight. No.
1: And you're never going to change the dependence on oil, because oil, I'm afraid, until they find an alternative which is as efficient, is the most efficient way of doing everything, of fueling cars, of uh, setting planes up in the air, of, you know, heating your house, everything which is fossil fuel based, is incredibly efficient as, mm. as, a, as a resource. And there is nothing else that, that fulfills that, I'm afraid. And no matter, and I was saying this earlier in the week, no matter how good we be, think we are becoming and how close to net zero we get, we will have no effect, zero effect on the climate because we're so small. In India, people are buying air conditioning machines and cars because they can. Now they've suddenly got the money. And there's a much more burgeoning and, and, and you know enlarged middle class which didn't exist before, so the size of India and the numbers of people there absolutely dwarf anything that we would do.
5: You're you're absolutely right. Of course, um, I hope that pending this investigation, HSBC will stand by their man. Yeah, you know we have to have plurality of opinion. We have to have debate. We get into a very dangerous place where you have to accede to dogma, and if you don't, you're out.
1: Mm. I've thought of a great new analogy. It's like holding a cup to the Niagara Falls and collecting some water from it as the falls continue to fall.
5: It is a it's bit like exactly it is, like that. It is a bit is like it is a bit like that. And and China and India are the Niagara Falls in this equation. Yeah,
1: yeah. And we're going over it in a barrel pretending that we're dry
5: and the esg are one, one well, run, running around with little cups trying to catch water yeah. yes absolutely i love
1: it very good well laura thank you very much indeed um laura will be back of course next tuesday with more uh, revelations and various fascinating facts for us and uh, coming up we're going to be talking to jamie jenkins because he's going to give us the truth about monkeypox. we managed not to talk about that as well
5: oh i um, deliberately didn't want to talk latest, about monkey pox the latest
1: Mike. fear-mongering <laughs> nonsense you know I'm going to have a monkey pox party, I think, because I think that's the only way to go. Maybe I can combine it with the Jubilee party. Monkey pox and Jubilee together. What do you think?
5: I think that would be that would be an outrageous slur again upon the flag. No, yes. no monkeypox near the flag. No,
1: monkeypox free zone. And it's also a party gate free zone. This, this is the place to be for proper democracy and proper free speech. Uh, we are, of course, here all the way through until one o'clock when it's time for Ian Collins. Uh, we'll be back after this. Talk Radio.
0: Reach for the story. Radio with grown-up opinions. Don't get angry. Get on Talk Radio.
2: The home of common
0: sense.
1: On your mobile, on your Wavelength, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here at talk TV. We are the place to get the whole truth and nothing but the truth because the man uh, who tells us like it is, uh, independent statistician, our favourite statistician indeed, uh, Mr Jamie Jenkins down in Wales. Jamie, very good morning
4: to you. Good morning to you, Mike. Um, before we go into the kind of the main stuff, I think um, Andon Deck have won the TV award the last twenty years. But I think you and Kevna with the new Saturday <laughs> Show might be in the run to well, to, to listen. Do a market. How fun would that be? I've, I've never won an award. I've, I've
1: never expected to be ever given one, and I'm, I'm pretty much prepared never to ever get one in my life. But you never know. Um, we don't we don't exactly tick all the boxes for them, do we? But um, my, my first question to you is how how are you manage to avoid getting the monkey pox
4: yeah so I think the the story that we won't talk about uh, that's on the front pages today, Mike is probably keeping the monkey pox story off the front pages and and because you could really come up with some big headlines at the moment because we've gone from a very small number of cases of monkey pox in the uk it's gone up to about i think 57 now so you could say it's gone up like three or four hundred percent oh the last yeah week. well i mean i
1: can't believe the numbers of, uh, of news outlets that are getting so worked up about it and and asking those ridiculous questions like they used to ask back in the day about covid how worried should we be about
4: monkeypox uh answer not very no i think so i was looking actually mike so if if you look in Africa, that's where monkeypox generally is. Where it's an endemic disease there. Yeah. So it's it's kind of always in the country. And Congo is where you've got the vast majority of the cases of monkeypox in the world. And I looked at the stats there this morning. Michael, I know was coming on with you. And they've had about 1,200 cases of monkeypox in the first four months of this year. But if you compare that to this time last year, is pretty similar it's actually slightly lower so it's not a case that monkeypox is kind of growing and spreading in Africa mm. and that's spilling over to the rest of the world that would be more of a concern obviously if you we were seeing exponential growth in Africa but we're not so I think what we're seeing is kind of what, we, what people have been talking across the different media, Mike, we have seen these cases. Remember, now we're looking for them as well. That's one of the reasons why you find more well, cases. Well, that's it.
1: I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that over the course of my lifetime, we've had all sorts of outbreaks of things like avian flu or, you know, um, some other form of flu that comes in every, every winter, different, slightly different uh, species of flu. We've had outbreaks of um, cholera uh, that have happened in different countries and sometimes have spread because people have flown places. I remember a woman flying into um, Heathrow a few years ago from, I think, New Delhi who had the plague you know but people don't you know you don't go running around shutting everything down going, oh my god we're all going to get the plague because <laughs> well, you're
4: not no of course not, mike and, and the th- even ebola is still kind of going transmitted yeah right i mean now. i don't fancy yeah.
1: ebola much but i mean i don't think i've got much chance of getting it to be honest
4: no, and, and with the monkeypox uh, virus, Mike, actually, it's, it's totally different to COVID. Even the health experts have been going on the BBC saying it's pretty, you know, the risk is pretty low. It is much, much difficult to spread compared to COVID. Mm. You kind of need that very close person to person contact, whether or not you're kind of using touching clothing or touching the blisters. I suppose there's one difference, which is quite clear. For us in, in terms of this is you pretty much know you would have got it because you get all these blisters on yes. you rather than COVID where you're sometimes not sure if you've got COVID unless you've got a test. Oh, I think loads of people have had
1: COVID without really knowing. I mean, we were laughing earlier on in the week about uh, Nicola Sturgeon, not because she has COVID, because that would be cruel, but because she actually tested herself and discovered that she had it. And everyone's going, who does that anymore? I mean, even the schools have stopped doing that. Well, yeah,
4: and you can't even get um, normal tests these days, Mike, and the travel restrictions that have just been eased a little bit in Spain. Some countries, Mike, are still asking you to prove if you haven't had a vaccine in the last 270 days. And I had to. Yeah. My last one was back end of last summer, so I can't visit a lot of Well, this is it. Most people
1: now who took the vaccine in order to travel or to go and see family or something like that uh, are
4: now considered to be the same as people who are unvaccinated. No, and you can show this proof of recovery if you've had COVID in the last six months, Mike, but most of the people haven't bothered testing. Yeah, but if you haven't, you haven't got that. that, you're screwed, aren't you? No, indeed, Mike. But So, yeah, monkeypox, I would say, don't panic. The more worrying, don't I think, panic, thing, Mike. No. Still, this cost of living crisis. <laughs> so, I put to you out this morning. Um, record figures now we've got. The petrol prices at a record high. Mm. It's never been so high in the country. Yeah. Uh, no, it's one sixty eight on average for unleaded, one eighty one for diesel. Some people are tweeting me back and say, "I wish I could get those prices because wherever they are, they're much much higher." Yeah, that's the average. So well, I'll tell you, the you last know,
1: two times I filled up my car, the most recent one was this weekend.
4: Uh, I'm paying over one eighty something for diesel. Yeah, I'm where you are, Mike. You know it's probably more expensive down there in, in the south of the country as well, and and that's about an extra three hundred and fifty quid a year extra that people yeah. are, are paying at the pumps compared to a year ago. Mm. But the Chancellor, Mike, because petrol price is about forty pence higher than this time last year. He's raking in nearly three point eight billion extra just in the V A T alone. It's amazing. You know, these windfall tax on the energy companies, you want to put a windfall tax on the Chancellor as well. Well
1: you should. I mean I've always said the windfall tax is a bad idea because what that will end up doing is continuing to sort of encourage the the sellers of the of the petrol to continue to charge a massive amount of money for it. Whereas if you actually said to them no, we're going to tax you unless you put the prices down then they probably would put the prices down, which then
4: makes it easier for us. Indeed, Mike, it bring inflation down. I was um, talking last week and tweeting about it, the fact that if you got rid of the green levy, if you started cutting VAT, because what is inflation, Mike? It just takes a basket of goods, looks at the average change in price year on year. And if we start cutting some of these taxes, you know, that the consumer are paying, that will bring kind of inflation down and start bringing that a little bit more under control. But... The governor of the Bank of England doesn't seem to be able to kind of understand all these different things or the Treasury. They no. just seem to be in cloud cougar land, I think, Well, that's
1: the trouble. And I mean, during the whole Covid experience, and I'm, I'm, that's what I'm calling it from now on, um, you and I used to talk regularly because you'd look at the various health statistics coming out during the course of any given week. Is that still going on and are we still paying attention or, or has that all kind of stopped now?
4: Well, we don't really pay much attention to the daily figures now, Mike, because people, as you know, aren't going forward for tests. And and because people have Omicron is so much more transmissible, people still quote on Twitter, Mike, how many deaths have occurred within 28 days of a positive COVID test, which those figures kind of become unfit for purpose about six, seven months ago. But we do get the ONS figures every week on, on deaths linked to COVID. They're falling, Mike. Um, the most recent figures came out this morning, and about 96% of the deaths that occurred in the most recent week were not related to COVID at all, you yeah. know. So so when you start looking at the figures, COVID infection rates have been coming down as well. So we remember, we eased all the restrictions, started going into that living with COVID plan. And since doing that, infections have started coming down Mike, I'll probably be on with you in September, October because The Guardian will write a story that infections are starting to go up because obviously it's a respiratory virus. Luckily, we're in that living with COVID phase. Things aren't as dramatic as what they were, and deaths are no much different to the time of year of what you'd expect anyway.
1: Well, nobody's talking about it anymore, really, are they? I mean, I don't hear anyone conversing about COVID. Occasionally you hear about somebody who has it, uh, like Nicola Sturgeon or like uh, Jonathan Van Tam, who apparently wasn't able to go and collect his knighthood from Buckingham Palace last week because he had COVID. But, I mean, you know, those days where somebody would say, oh, yeah, so-and-so's off, they got COVID. I mean, it's just not happening.
4: It's not happening, Mike, but I can guarantee I'll be speaking to you come October, September time, October, November, whether we're going to the winter, because I have not seen any plan from the NHS as to how they're going to cope this winter Because we know the NHS always say NHS is overrun every winter. We know that. I've seen no plan that if infections start going up and patients start going into hospital with COVID, not specifically because of it, what are they going to do? And and it's going to get the usual scare tactics, Mike. They're going to say hospitals are overrun with patients who are coming in, having tested positive for COVID during this respiratory virus season. And they haven't seen a single bit of a plan from the government in terms of what they're going to do to ensure that doesn't happen. That's what's going to happen, Mike. And come the winter time, me and you will be talking about the fact that all the scaremongers are coming back out. That's my prediction.
1: Yes, I wouldn't be at all surprised because, again, you know, we could go back 10, 20 years to every single start, uh, story that appeared. Uh, in one way one way, shape or form either a daily mirror uh, or indeed the guardian as you say or the observer in which they would say that the NHS is facing another winter crisis you know not, literally nothing has been done to make the NHS better in fact if anything the NHS is now in worse shape than it was even this time last year because we're being yeah. told that more and more people are uh, working from home fewer and fewer people are actually still at the sharp end of the hospitals a lot of the hospitals empty because they haven't got anybody uh, to bring in, because they don't like bringing people
4: in, people waiting outside in ambulances. I mean, the whole thing's a shambles. No, I saw a story yesterday, Mike, as well, um, somebody recommending that consultants work from home. Yes, right. And and get the clerical staff to do all the cancer scans. Yeah, and great. And then just look at the image. Basically, where we, if they're going to do that, you may as well outsource people who are going to look at the images to, to India or kind of... Australia or wherever all the doctors are in terms of these days. Well, I mean, you're I think... now basically told to look after yourself. We had a guy called in
1: yesterday. He said um, he wanted to get a repeat prescription. Uh, the, the people at the doctor's surgery said, that's fine. But before we send you that, uh, how about you do yourself a, a, a blood pressure test? And he's like, well, I've got a blood pressure machine. You know, they're not even doing that anymore.
4: Now, Mike, your, your show has become the official opposition to the government on the NHS over the <laughs> last few years. Yeah. You know, Labour are talking about things we won't talk about this morning, but it's just bonkers that the Labour aren't really capitalising on some of this. I suppose part of the problem, though, Mike, is I live in Wales, as you know, just as much of a problem over here. And who runs it? Welsh Labour. Mm. It doesn't seem to be whichever colour of every party takes over this NHS it just seems to be the same problem. And, and I think one of the things, Mike, you've been bang on over the last couple of years is that no other country in the world adopts what we do in the UK. No. So, you know, if nobody's copying what we do, surely that's the kind of a highlighting there that you wouldn't do what you would currently do in the UK if you were starting again from scratch, would no, you?
1: No, you absolutely wouldn't. And how is Mr Drakeford these days? What's he up to?
4: So, uh, last week, Mike, he flew over to Oslo. and oh, really? um, he was over oh, nice. there talking to the uh, Norwegians about climate change. And obviously... Uh, well, I'm you like a tweet- well, exactly, you would have flown over there. <laughs> you, the Welsh Government don't do international relations as a policy thing. We've got the cost of living crisis in this country, and you've got Mark Drakeford flying off to Oslo. We haven't heard much about him over the last few months, in part because, of say, COVID's dying off in terms of the daily media narrative yeah. and things, and, and all the talk is obviously about all the things that are going on in Downing Street and Keir Starmer up in Durham and things. So there's very little talk about uh, Mark Drakeford at the moment, but no doubt he'll pull another rabbit out of the hat soon. Well, listen, um,
1: you've just helped me out because I was wondering who I was going to put on my Plank of the Week list, which we're filming this afternoon with Kevin O'Sullivan. We'll have to get you in for that, by the way, if you're ever up in town. Um, We might like to have you on on Plank of the Week, but uh, I think we could nominate Mr Drakeford uh, for his little trip to Oslo to save the climate. What a brilliant idea.
4: Or plank of the year, Mike. You know, Mark Drake with Nicola Sturgeon, regular people in there. And well, listen, we got Jenny the Oliver. running... you Jamie the... Oliver in as well with his Eton Mess. Yes, we've got,
1: we got a running total, and Drake was definitely in the top 20. So uh, we'll keep we'll keep putting you up there. be great stuff. Jamie, good to talk to you again. Thanks very much indeed. Jamie Jenkins there, uh, our favourite uh, independent statistician, uh, running a rule across monkey pox. Is it dangerous? Not very. Uh, and what about... Mark Drakeford. Imagine flying off to Oslo uh, to talk about climate change with the Norwegians. Why don't you just go on Zoom, for heaven's sake? These people make you laugh, don't they? Coming up in the next hour, Ian Williams is going to join us, former foreign correspondent for NBC and Channel 4, uh, author of Every Breath You Take About China's New Tyranny. He's just been to Taiwan, and so he's going to tell us what he found when he got there and what it's like uh, coming back from there. Also, I'm going to tell you a story about some rather odd shoes that some weird people wear. Some of them, not a million miles from here. It has to be said. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is, of course, Talk TV. Fast talk. Street talk. Mike Graham.
0: Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people.
1: Solid talk. Hot talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham.
0: See it. Hear it. Think it. Talk radio and
1: Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with you all the way through until one o'clock of course. Prime Minister's questions coming up tomorrow. Uh, well, we may have to cover Partygate because it'll be interesting to see how Keir Starmer deals with it actually because uh, he's still on the run from Durham. Nobody really knows quite what he's going to do if in fact the police find that he broke the rules. Uh, but some people are getting very worked up. You won't be hearing about it from here uh, on my show anyway. You might hear it on Ian Collins' show but certainly not here so don't bother ringing in uh, to try and get me to talk about it. It ain't happening. There's lots of other things to talk about. The RMT are going probably going to go on strike and you won't be able to get on a train. Uh, that goes anywhere that you want to go. Uh, Also, of course, we'll be talking about the Jubilee, uh, the plans for which uh, are still in the making, but looks like uh, you will be told by your local council, as we mentioned yesterday, don't put any bunting up, uh, don't drink anything out of glass because you might drop it, and you might, of course, trip over, so be very careful moving around. I mean, for heaven's sake. Uh, Ian Williams is here, though, however, former foreign correspondent, of course, for Channel 4 News. He's been to Taiwan. Uh, He was in a few uh, weeks ago telling us about his experiences with China, his new book. Uh, He's been to Taiwan to tell Us uh, about what's happening there and how they're dealing with the post COVID economy, plus everything else that's been going on. Uh, Not least Joe Biden, uh, who said just the other day that he might actually consider operating in some kind of militaristic way if China went into Taiwan. Let's have a look. Or perhaps let's not. You didn't want
5: to get involved in the Ukraine conflict militarily for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are?
1: That's a commitment we made. Yes, that's a commitment we made, said President Joe Biden in Tokyo. Ian Williams is here. Ian, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. Good to be back. Thank you very much indeed. Now, um, what do you make of that statement from Biden? Slightly worrying if you're... Concerned about military activity around anywhere near China. Yeah, but he said it two or three times before. And each time he said that, he seemed
0: to row back on it, or right. at least the people around him did. Mm and say that policy hasn't changed. I mean, policy is one of what they've always called strategic ambiguity, i.e. they wouldn't let China really know what they'd do in Mm. the event of hostilities to keep them slightly wrong-footed. But there's been a fierce debate in the States about whether they should move towards... Uh, a a more forthright underwriting of of Taiwanese defence. A lot has changed. Taiwan's important to the world economy. It's a liberal democracy. It's under threat like never before. Um, And slowly the Americans have been shifting their position towards one that would suggest they would support Taiwan in the event of an invasion yeah. or, or other hostilities but as I say he has been a bit cautious because Joe's said this two or three times mm. but then they've rode back on it and insisted that it doesn't Add up to a change and, and in policy. And what's the
1: position at the moment? Does, 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 do the Americans supply anything to Taiwan in terms of defence or anything like they that? They do
0: under what they call the, the, the uh, a, a law that was introduced some years ago. Mm. They have to supply defence equipment or equipment sufficient for Taiwan to defend itself, right. which is a very broad very definition, yeah. um, and it's interpreted in different ways by by different members of the uh, different presidents down yes. the line, but from my experience in talking to people in Taiwan they're not holding their breath Mm. over I mean yes it would be nice to have Japanese and American support but they're looking to try and rely on themselves to build up their own defense Mm. capacity and they're really watching Ukraine incredibly closely.
1: Yes I was going to say that because people have drawn the the conclusion haven't they that if really, if Putin was to be victorious in Ukraine, we're not even really sure what that means. You know, would that encourage China to think, well, we could go into Taiwan, nobody's really going to do anything? Yeah, that
0: is, they are watching. I think China's watching very closely. I think they've been shocked by uh, the extent and the strength of Western sanctions Mm. and the unity, which they don't think will last, and they're hoping won't last, and they're trying to learn. And I think they're pretty shocked by Russian incompetence Mm. because, you know, they signed this big deal Uh, ahead of the Olympic Games, this Uh, the the sense that there were no limits to their partnership, that they were going to build a new world order together. So Russian incompetence has come as a bit of a shock. But in Taiwan, it's been something which is quite encouraging. And they've looked at what's been going on over there. They've looked at the Ukrainian resilience, the will to fight, Mm. the fact that they can push back an overwhelmingly superior military. And they've said, hey, you know, we want a bit of that. And they already have a doctrine called well it's been it's been nicknamed the porcupine strategy mm, right. the idea being you make the island indigestible yes by all sorts of asymmetric means so it's a means. very bad
1: idea to to go in, in other Ag- words. exactly yeah. that
0: yeah you can't match china mm. plane for plane ship for ship right. but you can acquire some pretty nasty kit from mm. smart mines to drones to tiny boats that yeah. could hide easily with pretty nasty missiles on them to take out Chinese shipping Mm. and you make the cost of any invasion extraordinarily high and 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 make them thick
1: twice and that's that's
0: the route they're going down
1: okay and you were there as recently as last week what's the atmosphere there is it different from any time you've been before does it does it seem more kind of defensive It does, because before, you
0: always had what they used to call grey zone warfare. You always had a lot of cyber attacks, a lot Mm. of disinformation, a lot of intimidation. Uh, China routinely sending in aircraft or or ships to intimidate the island, Mm. getting close, then then turning back. But it was always kind of background noise. You had the sense that... You know the Ukrainian, the, the Ukrainians, the Taiwanese got used to it. Yeah. Uh, but now I think the war in Ukraine has been a real wake-up call for them because there's a lot in common between Putin and Xi. Mm. They both have these visions of, of, of recreating their old empires. Yes. They both are grieved. Um, yeah. There's a lot in common with the and way they look at the world. There's
1: sort a of personality cult going on as well, isn't there? Oh both yeah. Of them.
0: Yeah, they're both very powerful figures. They have eliminated pretty much any opposition. Mm. Uh, Not that there was a lot anyway. And there's been, in the case of Xi, a cult of personality of the type that we haven't seen since Mm. Mao. And, And the recovery, as they would call it, of, tai- of Taiwan. And of course, the whole argument about Taiwan being part of China is extraordinarily spurious. Mm. But the recovery of Taiwan, as they call it, has been part of his big vision of, you know, right. the rejuvenation of a, of a great Chinese nation.
1: And does he give the impression that the Chinese people would want to see that? Because obviously, Vladimir Putin gives the impression that the Russian people would like to see the return of Ukraine and maybe Lithuania and maybe a lot of a lot of other countries that have sort of uh, been lost. yeah
0: I mean like a lot of china, of, of what goes on in china it 's very hard to decipher what people really think, mm. but because communism in any meaningful form doesn 't really exist in China, I mean the Communist Party is now a nationalist party yeah. it It's rabidly nationalist. Pretty much the
1: only party, presumably.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are no other parties, but it it is rabidly nationalist. And in the absence of anything meaningful that can be called communism Mm. in China, banging the ethnic drum... um, and this whole notion of sort of ethnic nationalism, chauvinism, mm. um, is all they've got to fall back on. So I guess there is a fair degree of support because that kind of stuff resonates.
1: Yes, of course it does. And you were saying that Xi himself is a subject of a few rumours about his health, and as Putin is uh, indeed. And we're always speculating as to whether he's got something wrong with him.
0: He is. The rumour mill has been absolute overdrive. Yeah. You know, Xi is terminally ill. G's about to be ousted by his premier. Mm. Xi's Economic policies are being rolled back. Xi won't get an extension on his term later this year. Right. I mean, the, the Communist Party is an impenetrable black box, yes. even more opaque under Xi. We don't know, but it's a lot of fun reading this stuff. Yeah. And it's all come, emerging through overseas Chinese websites right. of bloggers, YouTubers. And this is an established means by where disgruntled officials in Beijing leak this stuff yeah. out. Um, to friendly overseas outlets, they amplify it. Then it comes back into China and gets re-churned. So, you know, China watchers are having a field day. And, of course, China watching is a very big exercise, um, largely because most of them haven't got a clue. Mm. So you can pretty much read well, what you want into we, it. We
1: had uh, an extraordinary story yesterday. Uh, Rob Clark came in from Civitas to tell us the story of the NHS connection and how 600 million pounds of our money is going into China every single month to buy all sorts of stuff uh, that we really couldn't, we don't have to buy from China. Now, it's it's chilling, the amount of dependency yeah. that we're allowing
0: in critical areas or strategic areas. I mean, if there's one lesson, overwhelming lesson to me from what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, you know, there's this big shock about how dependent we were mm. or certain countries were on gas and, and oil. Yeah. And you think, well, hello, you know, it's not a good idea to be dependent on any tyrant, no. whether that tyrant is sitting in Moscow or Beijing
1: or maybe Saudi Arabia
0: or Saudi Arabia. I mean, you know, it's, I'm not saying we should stop trading with these countries, yeah. but you've got to look at your degree of dependency, Absolutely. especially in critical areas. Well, the
1: Germans are screwed, really, because they can't stop uh, the pipeline traffic. They can't just suddenly go, right, that's it. We're not going to take any more gas from you. Yeah. because they need it
0: yeah and they went through this whole thing that we can improve these countries by trading with yeah. them and being friendly with them and and ultimately intertwining our our economies and sort of look where that got yeah. them and yeah the degree of dependence on china is is even greater mm. and and yeah there should really be a wake up call to examine those chinese dependencies as critically as we now are with those yeah. in russia
1: and how easy was it to get into taiwan because Certainly, I speak for myself, I may speak for a lot of other people. I know literally nothing about how easy it is to get there, to get in there, what you need to do to, to go.
0: Usually it's pretty easy. I mean, Taiwan's an open, pretty, you know, it's, a, it's a liberal democracy. It's mm. open. It's thriving. It's, it's, it's a very, very accessible place. It's right. everything that China isn't. Mm. Um but they've had a zero COVID policy of their own. The borders have been closed for two years. They're now reopening. Mm. They're looking at the horror show across the strait in Shanghai and thinking, oh, well, we're not going to go down there. We're mm. going to learn to live with Omicron. Right. But I still had to do 10 days in, in quarantine mm. in my little hotel room, you know, my jogging track around the bed. Yeah. The elastic
1: exercise band quarantine in a place like that is proper quarantine i'm assuming yeah yeah
0: but it's it's pretty efficient because you're not allowed out for a fag as it were no 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 (laughs) and you know 10 days of this but they deliver the food to your door and it's you know it's good food it's taiwan everything's quite efficient Mm. but was i boy was i pleased to get out of there
1: yeah i bet and then you spent your time we've only really got a minute left it's bizarrely i don't know where the time's gone but um you spent your time just talking to people collecting info I did. I
0: mean, I hoped I hoped to get to the the close islands to China, but mm. uh, the weather was foul over the weekend. I was mm. going to do that. You couldn't rely on the planes coming back. So I was mainly in and around Taipei okay. talking to officials. I spoke to the foreign minister, the digital minister, other the the, the guy who was really much the father of the porcupine strategy yes. in in who feels very vindicated Mm. now in terms of the the new sort of defensive strategies they're pushing through. And yeah, to the vast majority of people I spoke to, Ukraine geographically is a very long way away. Mm. But in every other sense, it's chillingly
1: close. Yes, I suppose so. Well, fascinating stuff. I mean, I know you've got a new book. Uh, You've very kindly brought the Every Breath You Take book, which is uh, this one, China's New Tyranny. I'll hold it up so you can get it. Um, And you're working on another one. So um, we'll see you soon, I guess. Yep. Out in August. Brilliant stuff uh, in Williams, there, former Channel 4, uh, now author, of course, expert on what goes on uh, in China and now indeed in Taiwan as well. Coming up, uh, we've got much more to do. Uh, we're going to be taking calls from you as well, of course, 03444991000. We've got Dr. Rachel Ward coming up as well, who's going to tell us about a rebuild the GP campaign because so many people now are suffering because they can't see a GP. So many GPs are quitting because they say they can't make enough money. The whole NHS sort of edifice appears to be crumbling before our very eyes. Ian and I were just talking about uh, the sort of the state of things, government departments that don't work, governments that aren't working terribly well. Um, and, of course, the NHS itself, which is in dire need of some kind of reform, we uh, will take calls on that, of course, as well. 0344 499 and 1000 is the number. Uh, this is Talk TV.